they use the term bleeding the beast. Yes, and it's a term. Or I don't know that it was necessarily a term so much in the FLDS, but it was a thing that happened where the leader would say, the government is against us, mm-hmm. therefore we should do whatever we can in our power to take them down or to hurt them back in some way or another. The FLDS aren't saying bleed the beast, like that saying. And the Kingstons are denying that they use that saying. The LDS, I think, would also say that we don't use that saying. And yet every Mormonism group that I'm aware of, everybody just knows what it means. We've like, all heard How of it. do we just know what it means? Like, who did it come from? Welcome back, everyone. My name is Sam. And I'm Melissa. I grew up in the FLDS community. It is a polygamous group run by Warren Jeffs, and I moved out when I was 18 years old. I was raised LDS. Sam and I have been married for nine years and have two awesome kiddos. Yes, we do. Today, we're excited to discuss the episode number three of Secrets of Polygamy. Yes, the first two episodes were all about the FLDS and following Matt Browning as an investigator going, trying to find missing children, helping polygamous communities. This episode switched gears, and we're now talking about the Order or also known as the Kingston Group, the Kingston Clan, which is another polygamous group. They're really three. They talk right. about two, about being these main big ones, right? There's the FLDS, which is much smaller now, but at its peak had, you know, ten to 15,000 members. Yeah. You have the Kingston Group that has over 10,000 members right now. There's also the AUB, and that's like from the sister wives who are part of the AUB. Those are kind of like the three main polygamous groups, oh, yeah. I'd say, like in the United States that branch from Mormonism, those are the main fundamentalist Mormon churches. Right. They're, they are, at least for those that practice polygamy, because there are other fundamentalist Mormon groups that have broken off that no longer practice polygamy that are fairly large. But for those that practice polygamy, those are the three main ones. There's so there's hundreds, though. Yeah. Right? Of break-off groups. Of there's break, definitely yeah. groups, but these are the biggest groups for sure. Yes. Yeah, so... It was very interesting to get some inside perspective, and I mean some real inside perspective here when talking about the Kingston group, because they're kind of, not kind of, they're very secretive, similar to the FLDS. They try to keep within their bubble, they keep their members from ever speaking out, but Matt got some great insight from people that recently moved out of the group and were very afraid to show even their faces Uh, when talking to the camera because they are in fear of what the Kingstons would do if they found out. Yeah, I would say the Kingstons hide in plain sight a lot more than the FLDS. So the FLDS community was like out on its own, right? And they can kind of just do whatever. Where the Kingstons, they are in the Salt Lake City Valley, right? Mm -hmm. I hear particularly in West Valley, but like in the Western part of the Valley, they call it West Valley in Northern Utah. But They're hiding in plain sight. And, you know, even when he went and talked with this one woman, he was saying, she was saying that like before they went to kindergarten, so they did go to public school. They were just told before you go into kindergarten, you can't talk about who your dad is. You can't talk about this. You can't talk about that. Don't tell them what church you go to. So very, very secretive, but kind of more hiding in plain sight. Their businesses do work with outsiders all the time. They make lots and lots of money. Their main things are keeping the bloodline pure fraud i mean they have the typical the fraud abuse child abuse abuse of women abuse of power you have a lot of the same similarities through a lot of these groups but they definitely are very big into running a lot of companies which is similar to the flds as well yeah 
I think that one of the reasons that they have to be so secretive, even beyond what I was used to growing up in the FLDS, is because they're so much more in plain sight. Mm -hmm. They're working with outsiders. They're going to school with outsiders. So a lot of the young kids didn't even know who their father was because they weren't living in one big family or one big house as a family like I did. So for me, it was very clear and obvious who all my siblings were, who my parents were and all of that. So a little different in that aspect for sure. And I would say that is one thing that definitely makes the Kingstons stand out in general with polygamous communities. You know, it's definitely always about the family, right? And that's a huge reason for polygamy is having as many children as possible, which is the same in the Kingstons. But like you said, in the FLDS, you know who your mom is, you know who your dad is. And it's like about having this family unit that's all cohesive and working together. And it seems like that from what we've seen in the AUB as well, Mm -hmm. right? Where the mothers and the children, they're trying to have like cohesive units where in the Kingston's, you know, they said here, this, this girl didn't know who her father was until she was six. And we know that Amanda Ray, which we will leave a link above to our video with her because she's left the Kingston group and her brother Eskel as well. But I remember Amanda saying she was like six or eight years old too when she looked at her dad, who happens to be the prophet, who happens to be Paul. And she looked at him and was like, are you my dad? And, you know, like he answered her, but like she didn't know and there was no way. And so it seems like almost this whole system of broken homes where there's all these single moms and all the moms work away from the home too. Right. Which isn't what the family unit that you see within the rest of like Mormonism in general. Right. Well, and the FLDS did become more like that over time in more recent years with Warren Jeffs and him being Warren Jeffs and kind of just tearing apart the community. But as far as my experience in childhood, which wasn't that long ago, I mean, (laughs) I'm, I'm getting up there, I guess, but it wasn't that long ago where things were a lot different and there were happy families or at least to what the best of my knowledge and what I experienced in my family and everyone was in this cohesive one home kind of uh, thing so yeah I'm I'm kind of intrigued by all of this and the way that the Kingston's go about it because I feel like we got so much information we've talked with people that have come from the Kingston group but we I, I think we got a better overall picture of what it is they're doing and kind of what they stand for there. Yeah. Well, anytime we have people's stories, like it's like Amanda's or Eskel's, like it's about their story, right? And every single person's story is so different in every single group. Mm -hmm. And even within the same group, there's going to be such a variation of stories, which is great to hear their experience. But like you said, I feel like this documentary gave us such a big overall picture of the Kingston group as a group. Um, rather than, even though they've had people share little pieces of their story, it was more about the Kingston group rather than a single person. Right. But some of the things that they talked about, the Kingston group in general, that they have a billion dollars in assets, that's oh, so much money. It's so much money. I mean, it's nowhere close to the LDS, but as far as, but for a group their size, I was going to say, considering that they're only <clears throat> 10,000 people, that's a lot. That's super, yeah, crazy. Um, that there's about 10,000 followers, that the they believe that they're the direct genetic descendants of Jesus Christ. Of and course. so that is... <laughs> what well, do you mean by of course? Well, I, I just, I feel like a lot of these small groups claim to be 
you know, the special people, the direct descendants, the chosen ones, you know, that you seem to hear that quite often. So when someone claims that, and even when I was watching it, I just thought, oh, naturally, you know, they're going to think that they're the special ones that are the direct descendants of Jesus Christ and that they have to keep their special blood, you know, and, and the bloodline and all that pure. So honestly, I was just like, oh, okay, here we go. Did the FLDS ever try to claim like bloodline or being descendants of anything? Not necessarily necessarily bloodline descendants but just that they had special the, the, yes that the, of course we were special we were the chosen ones and we were we belonged to specific tribes of israel and that we had the direct priesthood authority and the everything passed down directly from jesus christ and that we had all of the rights to the power of god on earth and that kind of thing so yeah and uh, that was the same in the lds too right but i'd say the bloodline not bloodlines but like you could trace priesthood lineage back to joseph smith who received it you know from jesus christ's apostles themselves when they came down and administered that to him so i feel like it wasn't as much bloodline uh as what it was priesthood line right within the lds yeah and of course the the flds being a lot smaller right and yeah. uh more kind of hidden away in their own little bubble. There was, I almost feel like we were taught to believe we were even more special, not not to brag or anything, but <laughs> but even a little bit more special because we were the small elite chosen group. And so anyway, it, it definitely wasn't surprising to hear them say we got to keep it within the bloodline. Not to mention the fact that another reason you may consider they would do this, especially from the leaders and those that are trying to keep every everything illegal illegal that they're doing a secret would be that if you keep it within the family it's a lot mm. less likely that information gets leaked out because you could have someone convert to the church that wasn't raised in it and be and like this is crazy step in and say well wait a minute i'm not down for this it's a lot easier to go along with it when you are raised with it your whole life. Well, and they even said that like the point of women having a baby every single year was to create more members of the church, that that was its purpose. Like, mm -hmm. again, getting away from this idea of like the family unit being the important part, it seemed like they straight up told these women like they it wasn't the family. It wasn't having any type of relationship with the kid's father or anything like that. It was purely to pump out babies. So they had more members of the church. Which, again, is like an interesting way to go about it because most of other Mormonism, it's centered around the family and being an eternal family unit in the next life. Right. Not this idea of purely population. Yeah, but, exactly. you know, they told him the bloodline was royalty, but then they also said, too, that the, which is similar to the FLDS, that the marriages were arranged. Mm. Of course, you know, and, and that's... I mean, not every one of these small polygamous groups, I mean, relatively small, are like that. But it, it wasn't surprising to me because it seems like the Kingstons took a similar path to the F as the FLDS did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they come from similar origins as far as the beginnings of the church and polygamy and all of this stuff that comes along with the fundamentalisms of Mormonism. And so it, to get to that point where they felt that they needed to arrange and kind of, I don't know, it's kind of a power move, I feel like, where the, the leaders just want to have the control over their people. And the more control they have, the more submissive their followers will be, and also the less likely they are to try to break out of the cycle 
Right. When you yeah. don't feel like you have any power. Well, not only that, it always ends in underage marriages mm. and like abuse. <laughs> like almost always. I feel like every time there's arranged marriages in these polygamous fundamental Mormonism, I know there's arranged marriages all over the world, but in fundamental Mormonism and in polygamy, in and in this case is just one more example of there's arranged, mar- arranged marriages. There's incest because they're forced to marry, you know, the woman that was on. She married her first cousin slash nephew. Because of the fact that her mother-in-law was also her aunt, right? So it's like super, super close. Um, which Not I'm to sure, mention her age. Yeah. And then her age, exactly. She was prepped at 13. At 13, the prophet said, you need to be getting ready to be married and start having babies. And she was only 15 years old. And her cousin was 23 when they got married and had an arranged marriage. And she was told and three days later they were married. By the time she was 17, she's pregnant with the first baby. She only, you know, she's like, I went to ninth grade and then I stopped going to school. And I know that Amanda Ray has talked a lot about this on her channel and in her story. We'll leave a link for her channel below too if you want to know more about the Kingstons because she will spill all the tea. We love Amanda and she will tell you all the nitty gritty about all the stuff and expose them as much as she possibly can. But that, you know, the young girls, like she would watch her friends get married at 15, 16 years old. And because in Utah, it's illegal with the consent of parents at that age. I believe it's, is it 15 or is it 16? It's young. I think it's 15. Yeah. And so she was saying that that was really common. So then it wasn't even considered like underage brides because it was all legal. So they say, well, you know, the parents agree, everyone's agreeing, so it's okay, even at that age. Except for the kid. Well, but but they're going to say the kid agreed, right? Mm-hmm. But that just goes to back to the manipulation from the very beginning. I mean, her a cousin and nephew, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Her cousin and nephew at 23 years old comes to her and she was 15. And says, I've been having all of these dreams and that God is telling me that I need to be with you. And, and she even mentioned, she said, after he came to me that way, I knew that there was no getting out of it. Yeah. Right? So that just goes to show that she... Not real consent. Right. She, it was a, she, she agreed or she said okay because she felt like it was God and th- speaking through this man that has some kind of power over her. But... Ultimately, she just felt like she had to do it because that's that's what God was saying. And I can speak for the FLDS in that a lot of the underage young marriages were very similar that, well, you know, they would say, if this is what God wants, then who am I to say no? Yeah. And they had a specific saying. It's called the law of one above another. And that was their hierarchy mm-hmm. of that you had to listen to whoever was above you in the hierarchy. And that's. I thought it was interesting they named it something different because I think for most other Mormonism sects, it typically is just like called priesthood, like Mm. the priesthood order, you know, that there's a patriarchy. And so I thought it was interesting they named it. Did you guys have any other names other than it just being, I mean, I guess caretaker was another word, but that would just meant that they were your priesthood leader. And that came after I had left too, the caretaker thing. That was Warren implementing a new style in his mess but uh, i mean it was the the priesthood line or the priesthood head that kind of stuff which would just refer to the person that was in charge of the home always a man because you know similar to these other groups the flds did not give the priesthood to women that was not allowed so yeah of course anyone that had any 
higher authority or higher power over anyone specifically would be a man. Yeah. And as you know, as Matt Browning was talking to the first woman in the video, she was saying that it, you know, she'd get to the point where she was even suicidal, but that it never occurred to her that she could leave until she had an outsider. I believe it was cousin, you know, talking to her and and saying, and you have to realize like talking to an outsider to begin with is like a big no, no. Mm. But then when this person says, you know, you can leave. And she goes, it was the first time I had even realized, because like you said, when it's within the family, like, that's all you're raised in. That's what you saw your parents do. That's what you're doing. And you just kind of like perpetuate the system. And then she goes, okay, I want to leave like Friday then. Right. I want to leave right now. As soon as she realized that aha moment of I have the freedom to be able to leave. And that's something that I experienced as well. When I left the FLDS at 18 years old, it was never, I've shared this story before. The morning that I, or the day that I left, that morning waking up, I had no intention of leaving. Because at that point, I hadn't realized that it was an option. I hadn't even considered it uh, seriously anyway. And so when I reached that point that I realized, you know what, I could just leave right now. And yes, I was afraid, very, very afraid, not only that I would be hurting my family or that someone might come after me or that God would smite me somehow. But I, So I had these reasons to be afraid, but when I realized I could... It was the same evening, that same night that I decided to. Yeah. And she had the same repercussions from family as well. Mm -hmm. That's similar to the FLDS. You know, she said her mother said she'd rather have had her daughter die than leave the order. And she had sisters who say, you're not a sister to me anymore. Definitely the same type of shunning and the same type of not wanting to talk with outsiders seemed to be similar between the order and the FLDS. Right. Yes. Very similar, and there's a lot of connections with the different leaders in that. Uh, I remember growing up in the FLDS church hearing about the Kingstons, but I never knew much about them other than that they just were another polygamous group that didn't have the truth and that were doing it all wrong. <laughs> and I remember Amanda Ray, Amanda Ray asked me if I had heard much about them because she was sharing some stories that she had heard or that was she was taught about the FLDS, and I felt kind of bad because honestly, we just weren't taught much about other polygamous groups. Yeah. You know, and they don't so, have the truth. Ignore yeah, them. Yeah, we didn't really, I mean, maybe the leaders of the FLDS cared more, but as far as what was being taught, we just kind of ignored them. Yeah. So that was about as much as I knew about the Kingstons. Yeah. And luckily, this woman did get out. She was able to take her two daughters. She actually. Um, her husband served prison time because she was like, I didn't want there to be any chance of my daughters having to be sent back to their father. So she actually prosecuted him for incest and um, statutory rape. Mm. And so, you know, and he served some prison time there. And she's just been a huge advocate in fighting against the legalization of polygamy right. and has an organization called Hope After Polygamy. So we might need to like get in touch with someone or possibly her and see if we can learn more about this organization because we love helping to support organizations and groups that are helping people leave right. these polygamous situations. And, you know, there's lots of great organizations, but it definitely helps when there's someone they can trust that's left their group, right? You see that a lot. The Dream Center is in Short Creek. So it's really helpful. They help a lot of people that feel comfortable because they are, have that experience in that community, you know, and right. holding out help helps people from all the groups. So if they don't know where to go or they're in Northern Utah, 
that's a, a place that anybody can go and feel welcome. And it sounds like, you know, hope after polygamy, I want to learn more about. Yeah, we don't know much is. about them other yeah. than they exist and that the show did talk about them. And so that's something that we need to look into and see, yeah. see what's going on there. But the other thing that they brought up about the Kingston group as a whole group was bleeding the beast, <laughs> committing fraud. <laughs> and this one was really interesting because, man, when you get to like somewhere like a billion dollars and the amount of money that they have for such a small group, um, they talked about the Century Office, which is their centralized bank. And Amanda Ray has told us about this before. But basically, and they mentioned it in the documentary a little bit, but just so everyone's like even has a clearer understanding, they believe in the law of consecration which is what the FLDS took to an extreme later on after later Sam on, left, yes. right? This idea of giving, but that's an early Mormonism fundamental. They tried it in Joseph Smith's time. It failed. All these smaller groups still try because they're going back to the fundamentals and they all fail too. Um, but they, they actually have like everybody's paychecks go to this one bank, to the church-owned bank, and they forcibly take out the tithing. Right. And then you're left with the rest in a bank account for like what you need. Yeah, and I agree that it isn't the system that works, but the Kingstons have been doing it for a long time. Mm. So that is something where the FLDS did it, and it just, I mean, it was there, and then it wasn't within a matter of a few years. It didn't last very long. And I'm sure that those that still follow Warren Jeffs, to some extent, are still following something like that, but it's they don't have the same organization that they used to. So it didn't last very long. But in the Kingstons, it sounds like they've been doing it for a very long time, where all of the members give all that they make to the church. And then the church has this bank where they can get their money out. But from what we've heard from some people, then how much you're able to get out depends. But if they're running these huge companies, too, maybe they aren't being as strict about what people can take out and so people feel comfortable enough with it. Does that make sense? So it might be the law of consecration, but in the same sense that, like, yeah, but we'll let you have most of it back. And if they can continue to give out enough to where people aren't going to cause a ruckus over it, they might just be balancing it a little bit better. Right. And within the Kingstons as well, it's not just giving your money, but they also own the homes that people live in is what I've heard. So if you need a home, you got to go to the church leaders and say, I need a home and they will help you get that. So that way they have even a little bit more control over you. If you decide to leave the church, you also got to get out of your home. Yeah, and because most of the Kingstons work for the Kingston-owned companies, it's similar to the FLDS in that way that if you leave the community, you're leaving your community, you're leaving your family, you're leaving your business or your Your job, job, and possibly any money that's left in that bank. 100%. That's why it's so difficult for these people to leave is because if they give up their belief or their church, then they give up everything. And in some cases, even your loved ones and family, because if they don't agree with you leaving, they're going to stay behind and you're no longer welcome. Yeah. They use the term bleeding the beast. Mm -hmm. And they said, though, the Kingstons deny using that term. (laughs) Do you want to explain what bleeding the beast is? Yes. And it's a term. I don't know that it was necessarily a term so much in the FLDS, but it was a thing that happened where the leader would say, the government is against us. Mm -hmm. Therefore... We should do whatever we can in our power to take them down or to hurt them back in some way or another. And so it sounds like basically what that comes down to is tax fraud, just keeping as much money from the government as possible or getting 
or using ways to get money from them through food stamps or different things like that. Yeah, like the renewable energy company, right? Yes. Where they didn't produce any oil, but they convinced the government that they were, and they got $500 million from mm-hmm. the government, right? I think it's interesting that, like like you said, you never heard, like, the FLDS aren't saying bleed the beast, like that saying. And the Kingstons are denying that they use that saying. The LDS, I think, would also say that we don't use that saying. And yet every Mormonism group that I'm aware of, everybody just knows what it means. We've like, all heard How of it. do we just know what it means? Like, who did it come from? Someone leave in the comments, please. If you know if where that term came from. Is that yeah. just a Mormonism? Is that outside of Mormonism? Why does every single different group within Mormonism, if someone says that term, we know exactly what it means. Yeah. But yet we're never like preached it over the pulpit. Yeah, I know that I, I had heard that term within the FLDS. Same. I, I've heard the term too within yeah. the LDS. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know where it's coming from, but we've all heard it. <laughs> so someone's out there trying to, you know, bleed the beast and, uh, and but de- denying that that's what we're calling it. Yeah, it's just interesting. I wonder that cultural. It's it's always interesting to see where like religion and culture mix, like how much of it is culture and how much is doctrine, right? Mm-hmm. And where those two collide and where doctrine becomes culture or culture becomes doctrine i always find really intriguing yeah me too me too so that's basically what it is and the kingstons were obviously and are Mm -hmm. to my knowledge very good at doing that in bleeding the beast or tricking the government in some way or another to to either keep from having to give them any money or in some way or another taking it from them yeah and the last thing that they talked about, which seems like there's going to be the next episode, is also going to be about the Kingstons, yep. Yep. because it was talking about abuse and a little baby. I should say like trigger warning before right now of child abuse, but you know the the beating and killing of a 17 month old baby, and hmm. it looks like that's what the next episode is going to be about because they kind of left it just telling the story of that with this source, obviously. From everybody we've talked to from the Kingston, there's horrible abuse within the Kingston group, um, physical abuse, especially sexual abuse as well, the underage marriages, whether you want to say that they have consent or not from their parents at 15 and forced marriages. But that was just heart-wrenching, oh, so hard to hear things like this, and and just it just gets so frustrating. Every single time we talk about one of these groups... It ends up with the same things, the abuse of power, abuse of women, abuse of children, physical abuse, sexual abuse, and it tends to end up with underage brides. Like, it's crazy to me. Yeah, my mind has been opened in some way or another when it comes to the abuses that are happening because at first when people would tell me about these physical abuses, the, the mental abuse, I understand that. That's very common within high-demand religious groups. But the physical abuse, at first when people would tell me about it, even when they talked about it in the in the other groups like the Kingstons or, of course, the FLDS, I would always doubt that source. I would always wonder if it was actually true because I was basing it on my experience. And I said, well, I came from the FLDS church, and I don't remember any physical abuse. It seemed like that wasn't allowed, and that wasn't a part of our culture. But I'm starting to realize as time goes on and have talked to so many more people that I was lucky, mm-hmm. that I was in a good family, and that the physical abuses definitely happened. And I think it came from these men in charge feeling that they had 
ultimate power over those under them. But I just don't, I don't understand how, I don't care if you are in charge, how you could hurt a child. I just, yeah, no one, no one that hurts children should be allowed to walk the streets. I don't know. It's just very frustrating. Yes. And there's obviously such a huge amount of fear from the time that they're kids that, Mm -hmm. you know, the physical abuse, the mental abuse, all these other abuses are creating such fear in them that the sources that Matt was going and talking to were not willing to show their faces and they wanted their voices distorted. And that's how much fear or how much knowledge they might have of what their leaders are willing to do to people who speak out against them. Yeah, it's frightening. It's frightening to think. And I know we've talked to other people that have left these groups that were afraid and that even when they chose to leave, that they felt that they had to almost sneak out and escape, right? But it's it's a real thing. And I mean, I'm thankful to say that I didn't experience that. And I know a lot of people that didn't have to run away, but I do know of stories and circumstances where that thing, that type of thing did happen and where people were very much physically abused and some put to death because of their, I guess, coming out against the church that they belong to. Yeah. And I know there was one time when we were in a place with a lot of people who had left the Kingston group Mm. and had spoken out against the Kingstons and there was security and that was kind of intense to feel like, okay, like if you're (laughs) in the same room, these people fighting against the Kingstons actually have to be worried about their security. And even at that moment in time, at that meeting, there was, you know, they, someone did try to come and interrupt the meeting. And so the security was actually needed. And there's that moment of like, oh my gosh, like there's people who are actually willing to go to any lengths to be able to not be exposed. Right. And it's frightening too for those leaving the Kingston group because they know, they know firsthand that they have people, spies, if you want to call them that, within government agencies. Mm -hmm. So if you have a police officer or an FBI agent that belongs and is working for the church, I don't know, being paid or they actually belong to the church, you can't really hide, right? I mean, that's just a very scary thought as well. And they, the members know that. And so I can understand why they'd be so afraid. Yeah. Like when they did the raid on the oil company, right? Mm -hmm. They did the raid and everything was missing and they did have tips that they needed to get rid of certain documents and stuff from within these law enforcement agencies and government agencies. So anytime there's an organization that has over a billion dollars, it does become even a little bit more tricky as yeah. to what they're capable of and what their money can buy. So it was, whew, it was quite the episode. I hope the next episode isn't all about abuse because that just hurts my heart so bad, right. like the physical abuse. But we'll see, and we will be here to share that with you next week. Yes, thank you all so much for being here with us again, and we look forward to talking with you soon. We'll talk to you all soon. Mm-hmm.